nice things. Hello, good evening and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled, belting special edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... Hello. If you'd like to leave a review for Nice Things, we'd be really grateful. Possibly even five stars if you're on Spotify or iTunes. But if you're on YouTube, then you could just click subscribe so you see us every week. The website address is down there. My name is Paul Carmichael and we always forget that bit. Hello. Wow. That is yes. amazing. It must be the uh, the Beltane sort of, re- what is it, renewal and regeneration. Oh, I think it might be that. Feeding yes. through. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah good. And Mr. I, I, Darren Nesbitt, no doubt. Mr. Darren Nesbitt always helps with these things, doesn't he? I, I bought a record yesterday. Um, yeah. Right, and it's about a stone circle. Right, and from what I can what I can see, it's just this old hippie who sits in stone circles making up spoken word poetry, and it's a record of him doing that with gongs. But uh, yesterday, wow. it seemed like a very good idea to purchase this album. Today, I, who is it? So. J- Julian Cope. <laughs> no, I, I, it's like old Bob the gardener, that sort of right. chap, you know. It's it's uh, it's just a bloke. Well, Julian Cope wrote wrote the modern antiquarian. I don't know if you've ever seen that book. Mm-mm. He did a Channel Four special on it as well, where he travelled round all these stone circles and uh, went into the origins of them and the history of them. The modern antiquarian is a very good book. Ooh, it's right. very expensive now as well. Ooh. If you want to buy it. Right. It's it's absolutely authoritative though on stone circles, okay. their significance and their origins. Really good. Copies, I think I've heard of it. I haven't yeah. heard the, there was a Channel Four series. Oh, Which... it's just a one-off. Um, oh, right. I've, got, I've got it. I'll send it. Yeah. Oh, go on. Yeah, it's that's very that'd be good. interesting to watch. Where he's just travelling round and he's uh, Range Rover, just looking at his uh, all. But his wife Dorian as well. I went to see him on a speaking tour about it. I think uh-huh. it was at the Unity in Liverpool. Hmm. Very interesting. He's very into it. I mean, if you've, uh, do you know uh, how into Julian Cope are you? Um, enough to know that I think I've read online that the book's expensive. Right. Okay. So he did an album, Twenty Mothers, uh, which is a brilliant album, okay. and that's got some great tracks on it. By the light of a silvery moon, uh, you get it. Silvery. Um, Stone circles and you. There's, there's, it's great. It's great. He's great, Copey. So like is it folk or what? Is it? I'm presuming yeah. folky, right? Yeah, he's fe- the music. No, not particularly folky sounding, but his his uh, investigation into stone circles and stuff like that's very uh, very folksy, very hauntology. Oh. He's an interesting chap. Have you never have you never read um, his autobiography? No, no, I haven't. No. Yeah, his autobiography. There's two. They're in one book. One. It's called Head On. Mm. And I think flawed genius F L W O R E D, um, but they're brilliant books, brilliant mm. books. Very interesting guy. Yeah. And he went to what is now Edge Hill University. Oh, okay. Yeah, he came up from I think it was Tamworth. I'm not sure. I love Tamworth. Tamworth mm. is where uh, they did all the OB for Crossroads in oh, the seventies. There, you, there go. you go. The DNA. Perfect. Of popular it runs culture. through, you see. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a very interesting section in the book, aside from all the very interesting other sections, where he's talking about Courtney Love in uh, Liverpool in the early 80s turning up. But he calls her, I think he calls her the kid. Um, doesn't name her. Yeah. Um, that rings but, a bell, that happening. But he's talking about collecting toys. Mm. So he went back after, um, I think it was about 1989, 90, he went back home. He'd had the... 
the 80s as he described it. I think it's the last Teardrop Explodes release. Uh-huh. It's called Bent Out of Shape. Um, and in that, it, it just had enough of the drugs and the booze and everything. And he went back and he started collecting toys. Mm. And he didn't want ones nice in the box and stuff like that. He wanted ones, as he put it, that were imbued with the soul and the spirit of the kid playing with them. I think that's a lovely way of viewing it. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. It's the same with books, isn't it? We've said so many times, you know, that when you get a a lovely old book and it's annotated and all that sort of thing. Oh, beautiful stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you're getting more more than a book there, aren't you? You're getting a a, a sort of a... um, What's the word? Uh, a treasure house. You absolutely are. Yeah. yeah. And of course, that's when we can sort of go, well, what else are we getting there? I mean, stone tape, fair enough. But then, yeah. why not paper? Oh, 100%. I mean, mm. everything's, you know, a frequency, isn't it? Well, Every object. It. We are frequencies. It's energy. That, ha- that has to, yeah. you know, has to be somewhere, doesn't it? So, yeah. yes. Yes. So, one of my purchases this week, I blame you. For oh, yeah. all these it purchases. Fault. Go on. It really is your fault. I'm sort of, I'm half grateful and uh, half, uh, I'm not so sure, because they're not all great. Uh, but we'll come well, to that in a minute. But one of the things about the Ghosts of Motley Hall, mm. an absolute snip at eight pounds. Oh, lovely. Uh, from Network. Eight quid. I mean, come on. And then yeah. yesterday you had, uh, is it Neil McCarthy, isn't it? The the guy who had Cro-Magnonism, as they used to call it. That's right, yes. Yeah. Wonderful, um, wonderful. He turns actor. up as a sort of uh, a psychic investigator mm. with his machinery. And yeah. he, he's capturing, you know, Sir Henry Uproar. And uh-huh. uh, who is, you know... I think that Freddie Jones' performance as Sir Henry Uproar is more influential on me doing Sir Henry Rawlinson than anything. <laughs> He's so good. I mean, but they're all fantastic. Well, but this is the thing, isn't it? Freddie Nicholas Jones, Provost, an actor like Freddie English. Jones, is a is a rare thing. I mean, he he's superb. It's like the first time I ever saw Freddie Jones was uh, Children of the Stones, where he's playing Die the Gamekeeper, yeah. and he's so Welsh. You can barely yeah. understand a word he says. And I I could never understand why they'd employed someone who was almost impenetrable. But then, of course, you see him and everything else. You go, oh, that's just very, very good acting. Oh, he's so different in everything he does. Mm. I mean, that's the crazy thing about it. But they're all great in it, aren't they? You know, Nicholas Le Provost. I yes. don't know how you say that. And I think the young kid's uh, Sean Flanagan, is he? Is that right? The young yeah, I guy think in... it is. Yeah, um, it's a long time since I. But this is great because it's got commentaries with uh, Freddie Jones and Richard Carpenter. Oh, lovely! Of course, Freddie Jones no Rich... longer with. Oh, well, neither. So yeah, lovely. Enjoy that. It's weird when I. Um, so I met uh, Richard Carpenter. We've talked about this before. The the uh, mm. uh, cat weasel thing. Yeah. Um, if I'm very vague, viewers, it's because I'm fasting. I do apologise. Um, but um, I noticed it's like I like Dick Turpin. Mm. I like. Uh, goes to Motley Hall. I mm. like Robin of Sherwood, and it's only sort of when you get older, you're like, Christ, they've all got an author in common. Yes, you know, and Cat Weasel, mm. obviously. Um, in Richard Carpenter, who's a very, you know, brilliant guy, brilliant, prolific. But the great thing is, Wilfred Josephs does the music for the Ghosts of Motley Hall. And uh, if you've got your, well, you have got your Prisoner Blu-ray box set. I have. So you might know that before, um, God, this fasting brain. Mm. Come on, help me out here. I'll Doctor need more Who, to work with than before, I'm Doctor afraid. Doctor Who composer. 
Ron Grainer. Ron Grainer. Before Ron Grainer did the music for The Prisoner, Wilfred mm. Josephs was one of... The th- there was two other guys pre-Ron Grainer who had a go at it. And okay. Wilfred Josephs was one of them. And some of his uh, music survives as incidental music in The Prisoner. And one of them is very... It's the theme of Ghosts of Motley Hall. Oh, right, okay. So the bugger recycled it. Very sensible. Mind you, have you seen The Omega Man? You probably haven't. Charlton no, Heston. No, no. Well, Ron recycles the prisoner theme totally in The Omega Man. 1970. Ron, Ron was clever, wasn't he? He was Ron good was at that brilliant. sort of thing. Yeah. He was very, a very clever man with that sort of thing. I mean, at the end of the day, the Doctor Who theme tune, which is what, what he's most famous for, he literally scribbled out about ten notes and said something like that. Rest of it's all Delia Derbyshire, of course, who never really got a credit. She should be credited oh, everywhere. She Delia is now. She's well, now revered. Is oh, she? genius! The woman's a yeah. genius. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That I would say in the final analysis, mm. she's emerged as the creative um, force behind not only that theme, but uh, you know, an entire school of. British experimental music, you know, very much music concrete. Oh but, God, um, absolutely! Yeah, I you mean, didn't she like was the doing White things. Noise album, did you? Um, no, I've listened to it again. Yeah, and it's grown on me, and it keeps growing. Yeah. It does keep growing. Yeah, I've got to very much be in the right frame of mind for it, though. Mm. You know, it's it's not an album that you can put on in the background and just go, oh, well, I'll ignore that. Which I must say is the same for a purchase of mine this week. Um, this is the latest. This is from the Bell Orchestra. I adore this group. This is the group I, I sort of discovered in um, lockdown. And they recorded an album in lockdown. I think they all got stuck in Dusseldorf in a big townhouse. So they made each uh, room into a separate recording studio. And the, you've got your brass in there, you've got percussion in there, and so on and so on. And then they improvised for a week and cut an album. And it's called House Music. It's brilliant. But this is their second album, uh, As Seen Through Windows. And it's one of those albums which is a journey. You know, it just... Off you go into these mad landscapes. Um, Absolutely. And called As Seen Through Windows because they were sat in the Rockies, I think, uh, in a recording studio where all the windows around them were glass and could see everything. Not me Nyman over, dear. There we go. Um, but, oh, I adore their stuff. It did just you, um, transports me. Is that what... Did you use that in Spring Awakening this week, some bell orchestra? No, do you know what? I didn't. I used a little bit of uh, Michael Tanner's stuff, but um, I didn't use any bell orchestra. I did use Steve Wright, of course. One has yeah. to have a bit of steam. Is that what it was? Yeah. Steve Reich in the afternoon. That's the stuff, yes. A little bit of that. But uh, but anyway, well, let's talk about... So you're fasting, mm. and you've been doing things. I have, I'm afraid. I had to. My me garden wall fell down. Right. Not, not, not all of it, but a, a portion of it mm. fell down. Um, mm. And it was a case of... Oh, it's a long story. Do you want to no, hear no, the no, long story? No, 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 go story? on. I think it's important. Okay, so... Oh, God. Right. Um, It's been a fun week. I don't yes. have a car at the minute. No, you don't. I don't have a car at the minute because the buttons went on the... Hang on. My foot rest. Um, the, the, uh, <laughs> the buttons went on the key fob. Car fob. Key they fob. Did. Whatever it's bloody called. Yes. Uh, and so... My good pal, Mark, decided... Well, they didn't go. It was still working. He decided he was going to replace the buttons. And then the car objected to this yes. after him soldering a new button. So I got a chap out. 
He came out on Friday. Yep. And uh, it cost me an arse and a leg to get yeah. two new keys, but he did it. And then I got in it on Saturday and the keys wouldn't work. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. So anyway, um, Mark, obviously feeling responsible, um, <laughs> wanted to pay. And I said, no, you know, um, you could do me a little favour, dear. Oh, yes. Um, which was the back wall had fallen down. So anyway, that all got done on the Saturday. Uh, I had an afternoon dressing brick. Uh, as they call it, chipping the old mortar off 100-year-old bricks. Excellent, And the yeah. wall was rebuilt. And then yesterday I decided I was going to get the garden ready, garden, yard, ready for <laughs> barbecue season, which is obviously approaching. It's not it gonna, is. It's not going to be a washout, obviously. At least no, it no, won't no. be for the uh, the coronation. Because uh, they'll turn the weather machine on the moon off. That's right. And stop the rain for the king. Yes. Um... So I decided I was going to jet wash me back passage yesterday. So I did all that. But in the process of it, I decided I was going to move the coal bunker. This is the bit I don't get. Okay, I can right. understand all the rest of it. But then you go, I've got a coal bunker, which uh, which sounds heavy. You don't even yeah. have to picture it. It's a coal bunker. It, it it's is like, heavy. It sounds like that bloke who did Darth Vader's voice, <laughs> coal bunker. So... <laughs> And you think, so you've got that, and you go, the thing that I need to do with that is move it. I don't yes, get do. this bit. Why? I, right, I left a gap between it and the back of the house. Right. Right. And the local cat has decided it makes a very nice little sort of um, clandestine area to shit. Ah, uh, okay. And yeah. it's irritating me. It no end. Too. Yes. So there's that, and then there's the uh, fact that I had a, I have a tent with me biking, which was on the patio. The patio, right? It's on the bit, it's on the yard. Right? You've got a tent permanently up? It's a bike tent. Oh, right, uh, not like things. a little two-manner. So I thought, if I move the coal bunker from its position of being against the garden wall that fell down and has been rebuilt in part, mm -hmm. not the part that's got the coal bunker in front of it, if I move it from that orientation mm -hmm. to that orientation and push mm -hmm. it to the back of the house, kills two birds with one stone i can move the tent off the patio and i can stop the cat shitting in the corner mm -hmm. he hoped yes um so my first job yesterday after clearing the cat shit up was to move the bunker right and i felt me back here top left just go well, it was would. just like oh no <laughs> it's it's the muscle it always goes on me i don't know why Mm. Um, Probably because you shouldn't be using it to move coal bunkers. Out of condition. That's, that's why it is. Yeah. Uh, so I managed to move the coal bunker. It's mm. very heavy. Mm. Um, and then I jet washed everything, and it's it's looking great. You know what I mean? I felt all manly after that. Were you doing this whilst fasting? Yes. I don't no know. food at all. The thing is, if I if I if I'm normally just eating and stuff like that. So, for example, since starting the fast four days yeah. ago, right, uh -huh. I've completely tidied and sorted my office totally. Right? Yeah, I've cleaned the bathroom, mm -hmm. and I mean like you know a deep dive. Oh yes, okay. yeah. I've done the front room. Uh -huh. I've done the yard. Yard, yeah. yarden. <laughs> it's a weird thing with fasting. You just do stuff. You just do stuff. But isn't that because your body's panicking and it thinks you're dying or something? I don't know what the mechanism is. I've no idea what it is. But I know that if I want to get stuff done, I stop mm. eating. How long are you going to do this for? Till I go mad. 
Well, yeah, like last time when you started to see things that you thought were eating your eyes or something, didn't you? I mean, that was... The float has disappeared in my eyes. That's it, yeah. Which is impossible. Right, exactly. Once they're there, they're there. That's precisely my point. Have they come back? Not, no. I mean, the thing is, so what your body does, it goes into autophagy when you're fasting, Mm. and that means your um, body starts going around the body Mm. to scavenge... Uh, food as such right? and uh, this guy called Dr Jason Fung he's proven in his experiments and whatnot. Dr um, Fung Fung Dr Jason Fung yes well you little Englander anyway, this, <laughs> this chap knows what he's on about and, Okay. Right. and so what it does is it scavenges cholesterol around your body mm. including arterial plaque mm. so in America now they're referring to Alzheimer's as type 3 diabetes because it's right. di- it's linked with diet. And they've had a lot of success putting uh-huh. Alzheimer's patients on a fasting regimen and it clearing out arterial plaque in the brain. The same thing that Mr. Hartnell had. Ooh. Speaking of which, I'm yeah. going to ask you about this. Oh, go on. Because you'll know, because you know all this stuff. Go on. So, the three doctors... Yeah. Right. There was one day shooting, am I right? Um, for Hartnell? Yeah. 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 And that was at a studio, wasn't it? It wasn't at his house, like they say. No, it was at Ealing. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, now, the photo shoot, though, uh-huh. that was different, wasn't it? No, that was the same day at Ealing. Was it? Yep. So same was day. the gardens and all that that they're in? Is no, that they're... The ga- they're literally in Ealing. Um, the, it, it's like it's just literally like a, a road that happens to have a little bit of green there, um, right. but uh, and it runs down the side of the of the studios. But yeah, all Ealing, ah. dear, all Ealing. I love those photos. They are lovely, aren't they? But don't you wish they'd just kept the actual film of Hartnell? What do you mean? Well, you know, because you can only see it played in on the on the monitor in the set, can't you? Oh, right. So that doesn't exist. The insert is that. No, the insert doesn't exist. Be lovely if it did. I think the idea always was that Hartnell's doctor, after regenerating, was like in an old folks home, wasn't it? Because doesn't Herndl do the same in um, the Five Doctors? He's wandering around a garden. Yeah, that's the sort of thing. I mean, the idea originally was Hartnell would be in Three Doctors an awful lot more. Um, And I think it was Barry Letts phoned him up and explained the idea. And Hartnell was well up for it and bouncing back and forth with ideas and all this sort of thing. Uh, And then his wife, Heather, phoned and said, yeah, he really won't be able to do that. And Barry Letts was going, but we had a really good conversation. You caught him on a good day. There are very bad days as well. Um, And certainly when they came to do the recording, uh, he'd learned the words and been fine. But when he got there, not a thing. Not a thing, and the whole, he just had to read the whole mm. thing off boards because it was a bad day. Um, it kind of works, thing. though. It yeah. does kind of work, yeah. It sort of works. It's just it's a shame he couldn't have... Imagine that if you'd have had a bit of Hartnell in studio oh, just for a scene or two man. in proper 625-line quality. Oh. Oh. Just intervening in those uh, little bickerings between Troughton and per- Pertwee. Mm. That would have been stunning. That would St- Dunning. Um speaking been. of all that, mm. Pertwee, there is a mm. link, dear viewers. Um Beltane. Yes. Uh, just a cult festival in the world or whatever he says. That's there it. you go. So I found this the other day, quite by accident. What's that? <laughs> so 
Being at art college in the 90s, one of the big bonuses was having access to a colour photocopier. So that's and, uh, homemade. Ah. This is homemade. So this is UK gold recording. Uh, oh. As you can see, it's... Do you know what? It's not actually UK gold. This got sent to me from Australia. Oh, It was a, a black and white, whatever, uh, Channel 7 or something. Yeah, yeah. So this is a black and white of the demons um, before they released it in 93. Oh, um, right. And so using Doctor Who magazine and bits of TV zone, mm. I had access to the colour photocopy. You can see it was a bit larger than A4. A little bit, the yeah. the white line. Um, and so it didn't look poo on the shelf. Uh, I made my own um, cover. Oh, lovely. Uh, as people did back then. Yes. As people did back then. Um never anticipating they'd release it in colour but anyway well, of uh, course the, the demons is a watch today the demons is a watch uh, what about the wicker man i watched look at this oh there we go look at so that. last last week because of you like stoking the fires of this callan obsession yeah well actually um instigating it yeah um i, I was so. i was tidying my office uh, like i say yes um and it was like, oh, I've got The Wicker Man on DVD. That's the mm. great thing. We've been drunk for a few decades. You buy things and forget you have them. Oh, absolutely. You turn up so many things. Yeah, so I watched that last week. Um, oh, lovely. And that sort of set the wheels in motion. I was asking you the other day, what's the current situation? Because they say they found a better print. And... Well, that's it, yeah. And the, the Blu-ray of The Wicker Man has got three versions of the film on. So you've mm. got the, the one we all know, which is, what, 78 minutes? Something like yeah. that? which is the cinema release. Then you've got the director's cut from 1999, is it? Well, that's called the 99 edit, because it's 99 right. minutes. Um, so, all right, so you've The original got that. was 102 minutes, wasn't it? That's gone forever. No, no, this, this is the thing. So you've got the 99 edit as well, mm. uh, where it occasionally dips into what looks like it was shot on American video. But yeah. then... It's got the, the next edit as well, okay? And the newer edit. The director's cut. Um, no, no, no. They're referring to that one. The 99 is the director's cut. Okay. This one they're calling the ultimate cut or something. And that, I think, is 101 minutes. I look this up and I don't think it is. Well, I, it's I got it's three cuts of the film on it, dear. I know, but I think it's 96 minutes. So what I did some reading. Right, it's, shall it's... I get... You tell the boys and girls about the, about this whilst I get the Blu-ray off the shelf. Cool. All right, Okay, then. Cool. go. Because I need this question answered. So anyway, uh, what I did was last week I went on the internet and amazingly enough, there isn't that much devoted to the Wicker Man. I thought there'd be some exhaustive website with every detail of it examined in minutiae um but i couldn't find that i had to rely on people's reviews and stuff like that so uh right, here paul here is going to answer my question because i'm what? desperate to buy the blu-ray but i want to make sure i know well I'm no buying. no absolutely right so <clears throat> disc one has got the final cut disc okay. two has got the uk theatrical cut and and the director's cut so let's have a look hang on Oh, now, my understanding my is is the uh, the final cut is only 96 minutes or something like that. Ah, here we are. Right, so. Uh, right, UK theatrical cut, 87 minutes. Right. The final cut, 94 minutes. That's Direct, it, yeah. Director's cut, 102 minutes. Yeah, but the director's cut is on this. That's the one with bits of Americanness, isn't it? No, that'll be... Well, have, what's the running time on that? 
disc two, the director's cut, uh, ninety nine minutes. Well, okay. this is one hundred and two. Okay. Oh, Good. director's cut on here, one hundred and two minutes. Oh, so there we go. Is, so that is then the original cut that they're talking about in the commentary on this. That's it. They must have okay. found it between these two. There so you the go. director's cut you're talking about. Yep. Um, does that jump into Roger Carman bits? Uh, I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. Well, today's the day. Today is the day. I will. I will have a good watch of this. But uh, yes, love the Wicker Man. But then again, brilliant. But the whole Beltane thing. Because obviously you've got the Wicker Man. You've got the Children of the Stones and all this sort of thing. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because we've got no written history as to where this comes from. Mm. Do you think that you know the way that we've sort of created a bit of an artifice of? druidic bits and pieces. Do you think that's in any way got any sort of validity as a celebratory thing? Well, the the depiction of the Wicker Man, I think hmm. it looks like an 18th century line drawing, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. You know, but so that's isn't it not the... going back to then, is it? No, I mean, the only thing, isn't it, that didn't... Julius Caesar wrote something describing these Wicker structures with men, women and animals inside and burning, okay. but there's nothing else to suggest that it happened, I suppose. Right, I, I, I don't know. Mm. I actually don't know um, the origin of it. Mm. I know it's all webbed up. What he's done with the, the Wicker Man, Robin Hardy, he's very cleverly sort of tied it all together. He's, it's the foundation stone, really, the Wicker Man, of that. I mean, obviously, we've got Village of the Damned, which goes back. Yes. Uh, prior to that um, and stuff like that but that whole subverting the cosy English uh, village mm. thing hasn't it yeah. but I think in modern popular culture the Wicker Man is the foundation stone for all of that someone will tell me I'm wrong and I'm sure I am wrong no I think, it, I think for the sort of the, the English folk horror thing really it's mm. the first Mainstream thing. I knew Robin Redbreast. I'm trying to think when that was. I maybe 1970, 71. I'm not sure. But I think the Wicker Man's the one that really firmly implants those ideas mm. in popular culture. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And that's where we get the demons from. Mm. Uh, Children of the Stones. Um, and and the great the great thing that I, I don't know if you're a fan of it, but Hot Fuzz. Um, <laughs> I didn't think you would be. Um, but Hot no. Fuzz totally takes the Wicker Man and all those other things, and even has Edward Woodward in it. Oh. As he must the, have been uh, down on his luck, is all I can Chairman of the um, Neighbourhood Watch. Mm. It's a brilliant film, The Hot Fuzz. The Hot Fuzz. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. It is. No, because it'll. No, it, well, it could, won't be. It can't. Right, because it's those have two films. Have you never fellas. seen it? No. Brilliant. Because it's always on. Whenever I put the television on, it gets hot fuzz again. And that's just really got to the point now where it's absolutely not. I'm not going to watch it. I agree with you that it's totally and utterly overshown, but God, it's a good film. Oh. It no, really is a good film. What's the other one they made together? Shaun of the Dead. Not watching that either. They did another one, World's End. <sighs> is it Edgar Jones who directed them all? Or Edgar Wright? Edgar Wright? I Edgar think. Wright, yeah. Edgar Jones they... is the guy out of the stirs, the Liverpool That's band. it. Whereas these three started working on Spaced together, didn't they? Yeah. Which I yeah. didn't mind much. It's brilliant. What, Spaced? No, never seen no, that. No, 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 no. Never no. seen that. I weren't allowed to watch that, like Peep Show. 
Oh, okay. Not allowed to watch that. No. <laughs> right. No. It falls into that world, that world whereby, who was it you hated the other week because you're the same age and you could have done what they're doing, but you got stoned instead. <laughs> it falls into that, doesn't it? That category. Oh, I was busy. I oh, could have yes. done, done it a fuck's sake better than them. Absolutely. You know yes. I would. Absolutely. And I lived in that mindset for donkey's years, and it's just like, no, you couldn't. You would have done it if you could. You can't do it. Shut up. Shut up, head. No. Yeah. You couldn't do it. So I'll take take the L, as the Americans say. What does that mean? Loss. Take the L? Yeah, I'll take the L and admit those guys were a lot more committed, proactive, and had better parents than me. Well, you know, maybe. Maybe there's some of that. No, Nick Frost, he's, he's just oh. brought himself up from note. You know, right, which is not, not, not Nick Frost. What's he called? No, it is Nick Frost. Yes, it is Nick Frost. It Simon is Nick Pegg Frost. and Nicholas Frost. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but shan't watch it. You'd love it. I wouldn't love it. Absolutely You'd love not. It well, that's if you that's. Could get beyond this, I could have done that mentality. I wouldn't have wanted to do that. That's no, the but difference. you'd have done your equivalent, and it would have obviously been a fuck sight better. It would have been better. It would have yeah. been an awful lot better. That's the Withnell quote, isn't it? It As is. Bruce absolutely. Robinson says, "I could have done that, and if I had it, it'd been a fuck sight better." No, absolutely, <laughs> and it's quite right though. I unfortunately just made the mistake of thinking that things like live TV would provide valid artist artistry and income for the rest of my life. To the mistake. But if you and I yeah. thirty years ago had. Instead of partying all the time, if we'd have sat down and stayed in and written things down and tried harder, we could have made an equivalent of that or spaced or well, whatever it may be. No, we, we could have. No, we, we got could wrecked. have. No, no, hang on. No, 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 no. Not, not completely because at this bloody station when I was there. I, I thought I was doing all that. I thought we're producing all this stuff. This is wonderful. I'm writing all these scripts. And I thought that's what I was doing. But it turns out I was just doing ten people's jobs and being paid for one. I yeah, think but that's, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. But going off on your own and writing and persevering and, and, you know, every single day waking up and sitting at the computer and writing, writing, writing and making it. We didn't do any of that, Paul. I, I did a script and I sent it to, to a production company. They said no, and I said fine. I chant them. Well, there you go. I didn't even get that far. Well, I've just got a cupboard full of notebooks here with stone scribbles in them. Man in van gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you know. It's just I I I didn't try. Let's be honest. I didn't well, try, and nor did you. Well, I could have tried a little harder, maybe. We both could. Yes. We both could. And we're not alone in that. No, but this is it, true. it's sort of like, I think we all go through that phase of resentment mm. whereby we're just like, no, it's mm. shit. It's like, why is it shit? Because it's shit. No, it's not. It's because you know you could have tried and you could have done something. And it's all right. That's all right. We can make peace with that and then you can draw a line under it and then you can start to try and you can do your thing, which is what we're doing. That's all right. Which it is great. It's just it's a lot harder when you're a bit older, isn't it? It is. I don't like that bit. No, but it's all right. Yeah. You two will be jet washing your yard before you know where you are. It does need jet washing. Then you don't even have to do that. You can just sit in it and write. 
I could get Malcolm to come round and jet wash it, though. You could. But then you won't have the achieve of it. But I'm not interested in that. <laughs> in any way, shape or form, I'm interested in the achievement of Malcolm's job. So, well done, Malcolm. I feel that we've both done something good here. Letting I've talked money, to him. Letting money slosh about the place, as Tom well, Baker says. This is the sort of thing. I will have talked to Malcolm. I will have made Malcolm a cup of tea. That's my bit. I think if we dig down here below the sub-iconic level of what you're mm. describing, right? Yes. You were saying that for someone like Malcolm, mm. it is a privilege to be in your presence. I'm saying that I don't understand why he charges me full wax, certainly. When he gets my presence. Yes. Ah, when he gets when is. he gets a cup of tea, and I make a very good cup of tea when he lets when I listen for a while. Little bit of education for Malk? Little bit. If he's interested. Wouldn't force he, it on him. But maybe he wants money as well. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? And a lot of money, right? I wouldn't mind if it was a fair amount of money. But when you suddenly get something like 150 quid, what? Hmm. For bills for an hour. My car key cost £250. That's ridiculous. They'll have had those in stock. No, it's hard stuff. No, oh, come on, why? What? They don't have to cut the kit, don't they? Just program it with a computer and go, oh, it opens that one now. I used to use a bloody lolly stick to start a mini. <laughs> Just jam it in and turn the bloody thing. Excellent. Aye, what was well, wrong with that? Was... Well, everyone nicked him. So. Well, yeah, but that's how it should be. Where is how much? 250 quid. Oh, aye, he's got to come back. Yeah, it doesn't work. He won't charge you for coming back, will he? I don't know. I hope not. He can't, can he? I mean, the man's clearly made a mistake. Well, you and I know this. Yes. I don't know if uh, Malk will see it that way. Oh, God. I know. Oh, absolutely know. not. Let's go no. back. Look, I bought this because of you. There we go. Andrew Pixley's Callan under the red file. Not Lovely. read it yet. Going uh -huh. to. So, you have made me buy all that Callan. I don't know what that is. £80, probably, yes. all those DVDs. Go Motley All. And this book, yep. right? That's 20... No, it's 22 pounds. So yes. Un over 100 quid you've cost me. Mm-hmm. Then... Yep. The XYY Man. Yep. Which I've not Nothing to do yet. with me. Nothing to do with me, that one. Uh, but I somehow managed to get a coupon at the network on her, so that was free. Yes. Um, This is your fault. I, I was literally bullied by you in work into buying When the Boat Comes In. Oh, there we all go. All 24 discs. And look, oh. it, it's dirty on the spine. I'm going to have to clean that. Oh, you will have to clean that. But, oh. when you, uh, oh, Lovely. Look, I haven't ordered uh, mine yet. I must get an order in this week. Hammer raised in valediction. Mm. Um, and this. For the benefit of those only listening to today's podcast, Mr. Livesey is holding up the series The Sandbaggers. Right, so I've tried the first disc. Right. Okay. Roy Marsden. Yeah. Now, never a leading man for me, I'm afraid. Ooh, okay. I don't think he's got... I, I, I'm sort of with Eric Sayward when he referred to Colin Baker as not having the gravitas. He's not a leading man. Now, I don't agree with Sayward on Colin Baker. I think he's fine. As the right, actor. right. Um, but that applies. I don't think Roy Marsden really is in that role. Now, in Erline, which was made in 1982, 
Wilfred uh-huh. Greater X, another Yorkshire. It's funny with this. You can tell they use the same cameras and mics because it feels like Erline. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. Erline's um, great. Uh-huh. Uh, but there was a falling out, wasn't there, with Yorkshire and Greater X. And That's stopped, right. Midway through the series, they stopped making it. They did, yes. Um, and then apparently Marsden reprised his role in some uh, airline advert in 1986 or something. And Greater X got the arse about that as well, <laughs> which is Brilliant. fine. So the sandbaggers. Um, yes. Roy Marsden for me. I think I've been spoiled with Callan, though, so probably not good coming out on the internet. Okay. Ray Lonnan. Okay, yeah, I, I think he's good. Mm. Uh, Richard Vernon. Slotty Bartfast himself. I like Richard Vernon, but again, not believable. Um, the bloke out of the Green Death. Who's he? Oh, um, Jerome Willis. Jerome Willis. Yeah. He's all right. Um, it's very two-dimensional for me. The whole thing's very two-dimensional. I can't really get into it. And that episode where Sandbagger 3 uh, gets shot or whatever, it's yeah. just like bloody Amdram. The whole company. No, I just, I'm not feeling it, mate. What, really? Yeah, really, really. I want to... Look, I, I shelled out 24 quid for this, right? Might hasn't come your birthday quote, hasn't, hasn't it got a quote on there from the New York Times or something about... Uh, the best the... spy show in TV history. There you go. Have they not watched Callan? But that's their opinion. And let's bear in mind that this is sort of like, you know, this is a recent quote. The New York Times, Lynn. Oh, there you go. Oh, Not my no. words, Lynn. The words of the New York what about, Times. What about that first episode where it's him and Olaf Pooley, right? And then at the end, his final line to Olaf Pooley when he offer, offers him a drink is, if you put a hand in my glass right now, I'd ram it down your throat. I li- now, I like that's that. That's nice. I l- those scenes with him and Olaf Pooley are all right. Oh. He looks a bit too much like Patrick Malahide. Is it because yeah. of the wig? Because he's yeah. in a wig. Yeah, yeah. Why bother? Why bother? I mean, they did back then. Callan's in a wig. Yeah. Well, I think because Marsden was quite young then. What, 70, uh, 78? He weren't that old. Uh, not that. <laughs> so, yeah, he must so, have been 36 or something, mustn't he? Right, something like that. So maybe they just thought, well, he's playing a 36-year-old and most 36-year-olds wouldn't have lost all their hair like he had and I certainly had. So yeah. presumably that's the reason for the, the That's syrup. because you're fiercely masculine. Oh, oh absolutely. It's, it's testosterone, isn't it? All the Toblerone, absolutely. <laughs> that's what how, it is. Is the, how is the condition then? Um, I think... Well, I mean, basically, due to it's it's a number of factors, I suppose. Because um, you could just sort of like sit around and wait. Um, but a, a sort of a combination of complementary uh, health things, um, a, a positive mental. Do you know what it is? No, it's an angry mental attitude. Because I was walking up that damn hill uh, that I have to ascend um, on. Was it Tuesday? And I got in such a cross mood about this. I th- I got so stubborn. I thought, how dare you? How fucking dare you? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I'm not having this. Absolutely not. So I made myself walk quicker and thought, I'm, I'm not having it. Lots of people have been saying, well, you must rest. And I thought, nope, shan't. No. So I started pushing through uh, a little bit there and then just trying. Uh, it's a holistic approach. 
just something like this that I think you need, isn't it? I mean, you'll get all the all the help from the NHS, but there are other things that you can try as well and sort of like mix it all up. And mind, body, and soul. Exactly, exactly that. And I am feeling better for it. Good. Yeah, feeling good, better good, good. for it. Actually, I have to say, yeah, symptoms are easing. I think, which is a good thing, because it was a bit scary for a while, dear. Hmm. I bet. I remember oh. when you uh, were saying about they told you if it spreads to your bloody throat and stuff. Oh, ah! Ooh, yes. Oh, I don't but... like throat things. No, absolutely not, because they could do anything when they're doing that, couldn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't fancy that. No. Like being put in an induced coma, absolutely not. Right. What, was why, that on why... the cards? No, no, this is no. just a fear. It's just like why? Yes. Why do you want to? Why do you want me like that? Vulnerable. That Formula One driver's still in an induced coma, isn't he? Michael Schumacher. He's been in it years. Is he? Mm. Skiing he accident. Oh, must be ten years. Good God! I know it's crazy, isn't it? That I is. remember there was a. a do you remember when um, racing became popular? Uh, well, it probably still is. Probably always has been. But it became popular with Channel 4 mid-80s or something like that. Mm. And they used to have it on every afternoon. Yeah. Um, it had that great sort of Jean-Michel Jarre-esque theme tune. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful yeah. theme. And there was, a, there was a jockey on that. I can't remember his name. I think he was an Irishman, probably. But there was a jockey on that who'd said he'd had something happen to him and he'd been in an induced coma for about six months. And all the time he was in it, he was back on the farm as a kid and living, going to bed, getting up in the morning. He was back being a little kid again on the farm. He lived that whole life. Dead people were alive again. His parents were alive again. And all the time he'd been in that coma, he'd actually been there and living day to day. That sounds all right, doesn't it? That's all right, yeah. So it might not be all bad, I don't know. Hmm. That sounds all right, actually. Hmm. I, was, I was just worried about people touching me whilst I was unconscious. Oh, well, they might do that. They've been doing a lot of that. I mean, so. you, are, you are irresistible, dear. Well, there is that, dear. Absolutely. No, that, that'd all be going on. Hmm. So you're going to have some Wicker Man this afternoon with your newfound lease of life. I am. I'm going to have some Wicker Man. Um, the Village Fur is on, however, today. So I should go and make a little St. Martinly appearance, shouldn't I? Um, so They may touch the hem of my gown. That's the sort of thing. So I might stroll over uh, in, a, in a little while. and uh, yeah. Very nice, with Stanley the dog. I will take Stanley the dog, who's... Uh, Stanley the dog, now then, here's the thing, uh, is a great fan of Puccini. Of course he is. Yeah, I'm not, though, which is a bit unfortunate, because Puccini really calms him. Uh, came on by complete chance on the old, you know, the the Alexa machine. Came on there, a bit of Puccini, and he just instantly calmed down. So, okay, let's try you with something nice. So I said, Alexa, uh, Beethoven, bit of Beethoven, opening of the sixth. Started howling. Started howling. Started howling. Hated it. Mozart, no. No, he likes Puccini, and I don't. There we go. What's that, Madame Butterfly? Is that Puccini? Loves Madame Butterfly. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's an awful lot of... Um, who is it? What? Big, big fella from the three tenors. Domingo. Was it? Was he the big one? Pavarotti. Pavarotti. Do you That's remember it. Kenny Lynch, uh, Jimmy Tarbuck and Brucey doing the three fivers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, man. That is my mm. world. Mm. That is my world. They were great, the three tenors, though. Oh. The three fivers. <laughs> <laughs> No, they were, but yeah, he seems to have done an awful lot of Puccini. Uh, so I have to listen to him doing Puccini a lot at the moment. So if you hear Madden any Butterfly Puccini... Is good. Well, yeah, but not when it's on repeat. We had a great English teacher called Mrs. Wilson. She was brilliant. Uh. She used to call out my bullshit, which I respected. Mm. Um, and one of the things we did in night was read Twelfth Night, which gave me an opportunity to do my, um, you know, obviously, Sir Toby Belch, but I did it as... Uh, what was he called? Uh, Melchit. Oh, yeah. In, in Blackadder Goes Forth. Yeah. General Melchit, was it? It was. It was General Sir Anthony Cecil Hogmanay Melchit. That's yes. it. So I did that yeah. voice. So I enjoyed that. Mm. Um, and she took us to see uh, the Barber of Seville, uh-huh. which was great, and the Duchess of Malfi, which was brilliant. Oh, Malfi's um, amongst, wonderful. Amongst other things. What a teacher. That's wonderful. This was at school, not at yeah. college. This is at school. No, oh, it's magnificent, especially to see Malfi. Malfi's know, a brilliant yeah. play. Yeah. Oh. At the um, at the where did she take us to see it? I suppose it would have been the uh, Empire, maybe, mm. or the Playhouse. It's great. Playhouse, I would think. Yeah. Top oh, teacher. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Can make a difference, you see. Yeah. She bought a Morris Minor Traveller off me some years later. Nice. I like a I like a nice Morris Minor traveller. I'm always gutted about the fact that my dad gave his away for about two hundred quid. He told me Ooh. I sold this for two hundred quid. Yes. Very unhappy. They're about fifteen grand now. Mmm, beautiful. This one had the indicators that come out the sides. Oh, the the trafficators. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. it. The trafficator. What a wonderful thing. Yes. Yeah, they're brilliant, aren't they? Good old Alicus Agonis. He was mm. a brilliant designer. Um, the mini as well. Monocoque mm-hmm. construction. No yeah. chassis. And you didn't used to flog them for about 50 quid. Yeah. I used to buy them when I was about 19, 18, 19. I used to buy minis, weld them up, mm. get everything sorted, a couple of new mm. subframes, a few new wings, you know what I mean, Mike Good, um, and knock them out for about, I don't know. No, I used to sell them for about 500, 600 quid back then. But I'd, but, I'd be buying them at the scrapyard for 50 quid. Mm. <clears throat> um, but, but now one would be paying about... Oh, Ridiculous amounts, 15, 20 grand. Oh. I never had a Mark 1. I always wanted a Mark 1. Mm. Mark 1's had the hinges on the outside, the beautiful ones, the uh, sliding back windows, um, oh. different grille, uh-huh. slightly slightly different. And they were all... Um, so the uh, Mark 1's are kind of... A lot of them are 800 cc's. Mm. Whereas you get the 998 cc with the uh, post-1971. So when was beautiful. the Mark One? 1962 to 70. Ah. Yeah. And then about 1970, you get the Mark II coming, which has got interior hinges, mm. uh, opening back doors, the 1,000cc engine. Of course, you've got the Mini Cooper S as well in the late 60s. That starts production. Mm. It's got a 1275 GT engine and twin carburetor. So horsepower, what the hell is that? I've never asked that to anyone because people oh, always no. say horsepower. And I, Mark how, would know. Well, Mark it, would know. We may have to ask him. It's I mean, got something to do with how many horses it replicates, obviously. Probably the speed of a horse from stand to a certain speed. I don't know. Why are we measuring things in horse? I mean, that just seems a little outdated. I'm, I'm not one for moving into the future quickly, but yeah. I think we should maybe move on from measuring things in terms of horses. 
Well, it's a hangover, isn't it? I mean, it's a hangover from when the car was invented in Victorian times. or No, Edwardian. <coughs> um, it'll have been the equivalence then. It will have been a sort of a level of understanding people had. This is equivalent to so many horses. Well, absolutely, but now, surely it's just confusing. Yes. Well, it's like uh, left and right-hand drive, isn't it? That's a hangover from horse riding, they say, because American style of horse riding and British style. Whether this is true or not, I don't know. Go on, go on. So what? They... So there's some, some difference in terms of which hand you hold the reins in, right. apparently, with the way Americans ride horses and the way we ride horses. And uh-huh. allegedly, allegedly, that's why they drive on the left and we drive on the right or whichever way around it is. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Mm, okay. Man in the pub stuff, that, isn't it? No, it is. Yeah. yeah. No, but, so, <coughs> but then again, back to Beltane then, because how much of all the stuff that we that we see, right, when, when they open up Stonehenge a couple of times a year, if people have a wander around in the robes and that, how much of that is pure man in the pub made up stuff? And how much of that do you think has got some sort of basis in what may have happened? Well... I mean, just to finish off our chat about arcane terms being carried over, mm. look at what you use with a computer. Cut, copy, and paste. That's mm. all printer's jargon for when you physically did. Cut it and paste it down. So these things do yes. survive. But yeah, anyway, um, <clears throat> well, as I've told you, as Roy and his son Roy told me, mm. you know, <laughs> my granddad, he was there building Stonehenge. You know, they yeah. put it back together in the 30s, didn't they? So even what you're seeing is a reconstruction. Mm. Um but this the story goes that the Romans came here, and what the Ro- like all conquering armies do, like mm. the Taliban did with the Buddhas of is it Banyan? Banyan, yeah. Mm. Um, they operated a year zero approach and had to destroy all written record. That's what's what they say. They reckon mm. the Romans came here, and the written record of the peoples of these islands um, were destroyed in order to wipe out their culture. I don't know if that's true. Nobody mm. knows if that's true. Mm. But that's the story. So it we've got nothing, have we? Seems unlikely, though, doesn't it, that you could r- wipe out all the writings of a civilization. This recently. Comparably recently. I don't know. I don't know. Look at what the Reformation did to um, English cathedrals and churches. Yes, but th- enough survived. Things survived. You could Things reconstruct survived. and you still had... You know, um, you you still had all your your relics and so on. That you've still got enough to actually build something on. Whereas we're talking about what two thousand, well, two thousand years ago. When when does Julius Caesar invade? Fifty four AD, yeah, something like that. Thirty six AD, I think. One one or the other. Yeah. Um, but that's not that long ago in terms of history. You think of the, you know we've got uh, the story of Gilgamesh from Mesopotamia. But they put it in stone. Right, so presumably, why wouldn't our ancestors have done a little of that? A little bit of masonry? Well, the, I mean, let's be honest. So, uh, the ancient city of Ur, mm. which is where the cuneiform tablets were found with Gilgamesh on them, mm. which isn't complete, they haven't got all no. of Gilgamesh. I think they're in the British Museum, aren't they? Or the British Library, the, the cuneiform tablets. I think so, yeah. I don't think they've even gone through them all, but I think that's where they Well, the uh, ancient city of Ur... Uh, ISIS dynamited it about three years ago. Mm. So, th- so had those tablets been there, that would have been pretty, you know, conclusive. They'd have gone. Oh God, yeah. Um, so people 
when they're ideologically captured, they mm. do think they have to destroy what's gone before. And I suppose mm. with the Roman army, what <clears throat> they were proper brutal, weren't they? I mean, you've seen I, Claudius. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> John Hurt um, marries his horse. That's exactly. True. So, I mean, could they? I don't know. That's the story anyway. Mm. <clears throat> if you watch a series, which you'll never do, called Vikings... Uh, that's on one of these pay TV things, isn't it? Prime, which you've got. I have got. No, I shan't watch it. No. So in that, you've got... I'm I'm going to call him Tristram Barlow, but it's not that. Linus Roach. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Barlow's son. Yeah. Linus Roach plays the King of Wessex, because Wessex was the only kingdom that never fell to the, to the Vikings. Mm. And in that, he's talking about how he's got some... He's got all these old scrolls. Yeah. That have survived from before the Romans, where the ancient Britons talked about giants roaming the land and all this right. other business. So he sort of hints toward there being a written record. Whether there was or not, I don't know. I mean, there's a theory, isn't there? We've talked about it before, uh, that the reason they brought those stones all the way to Stonehenge, from Wales, when there are yeah. stones all over the bloody downs there, mm. but the reason they brought the ones from Wales is because of their magnetic properties. Yeah. And the belief being that if you have the correct, I don't know, ley line, moon cycle, whatever it may be, that the stones will speak mm. and the magnetism, the magnetic properties of them were desired in order that they could record an oral record into them. Well, didn't I send you a little video recently of something like that? I'm or did sure. I not? I don't it's, think you did. It's, it's fascinating. It's, somebody's got a rock, right? Just they've got a rock. And they've built basically. It's like it looks like an old-fashioned gramophone with a big horn on it, okay? And a diamond needle, and they put on it, and the sounds coming out of it are certainly musical and sort of sound affected. They don't sound. Mm. It's not just the sound of a, of a rock scraping at all. If I've not sent you that, I'll I'll post that on Twitter as well for the viewers. I'll pin it to the Splendid. top of I'll put so, it on the nice things. Well, that maybe does hint at a lost technology, and that is how the record was, you know, achieved. I mean, that would be as permanent as carving stuff into rock, if not mm. more so. But you, you'd have to be able to decode it. It's like in uh, the time machine, isn't it? Mm. Their, their history's recorded into rock. When he's yeah. way in the future. Not the Marlocks, whoever the other people are. Don't know. No. Mm. I can't remember. The Marlocks, I remember, because they look like Boris Johnson. They do, don't they? They do, yes. Yeah, that's it, yeah. But anyway, that's the theory, mm. because now we're recording data onto yeah. onto quartz slithers, aren't mm. we? And yep. it can hold more <clears throat> data than any sort of mechanical means that we've got. So, I don't know. It's highly possible. I mean, there's a lot of people who say that the ancient pyramids were power stations. I don't know. I've never watched any of the videos. I might do. I might do. Uh, I like them. them. I like yeah. them. I like them flat earth ones. They're great. Oh, no. Not those ones. Though. Don't you like it? No, I don't. I find them so frustrating. The mental gymnastics are fantastic. Well, exactly. But I just find myself thinking... I, I, to begin with, I get a bit cross, but within about a minute and a half, I'm just thinking, oh, just die. Awful people. <laughs> just, no. No, I can't Have you never seen the uh, Welsh historian who says there's two King Arthurs? No. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. He talks about how uh, 
it's brilliant because it's kind of like you know in the life of brian i you've got that sort of undercurrent it's a small gag but it goes all the way through mm. and at the end where they're all being crucified and the welsh section there's that, yes. that that's uh, and judith's welsh or whatever yes. there's that little sort of very subtle gag going through it about welsh mm. um so this guy claims that the uh the ancient Babylonians were Welsh and all that and he's like oh yeah you know these ancient the gold plates that were on the wall of uh what's he say now oh what is it Solomon's temple right <laughs> he says you know people can't decipher those symbols and uh, a few years ago I managed to get hold of a copy of them and uh, all Welsh all Welsh <laughs> <laughs> and everything he's done everything the whole history of the ancient world. Oh, well, you know, he's a Welshman and called her. Oh, and he, he sailed over there uh, 30,000 BC. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love it. I love it out like that. Uh, okay, I like that. The Ark of the Covenants buried in Wales. Everything. Everything. Oh, it's Welsh against you. Uh, oh, I've got to find him. Yeah, I, I can't remember his name. Two King Arthurs. In fact, I'll, I'll allow a cheeky Google. Go on. Because I think you would enjoy this. Oh, I do like the sound of this. That would be, yes. Uh, I like that. So he says there was one... Uh, there was one in uh, the time of the Romans and there was uh, one in the time of the Anglo-Saxons. Um, oh, where is he? Two King Arthurs. Let's just Google that. We'll okay. find him. We'll find him. So two king, one in the Romans and one in the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah, okay. ah, that's because there were two King Arthur's. See, right, uh, ah, one of them was Welsh, or they both were. They're, oh, everybody Welsh. Really. <laughs> I mean, Brilliant. everybody's well. Honestly, honestly, the ancient Sumerians were Welsh. Everything they all sailed out right from <laughs> Cardigan Bay. <laughs> but honestly, he's on about all the, the ancient, the oldest books in the Bible. What? I've got all of her, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all Welsh. This is fucking great. <laughs> but I love stuff like that. But I, I like that because he's clearly mad. Well. But he does it in a Welsh accent, and I like that. He does that. it in a Welsh accent, and it's the mental gymnastics that I love. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's all that. But if you when you've got someone like that who's an original thinker, it can be completely barmy, but you go, go on, I'll, I'll yeah. go with you on this. Well, there's when a it's, hit. Go on. Sorry. There's no, a HTV no, no. Wales on YouTube. It's an hour-long thing with him. And he's just sat there like that. Not with his arms folded. Like that. He's just sat mm. back like that. And he's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I. You know. And oh, it's like and it's the Ark HTV. of the Covenants in Wales. Jesus right. was Welsh. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All this stuff is brill. It's oh, brill. Fantastic. Oh, I'll I need find to find him. this man. I'll Please find, find this man. Find I spent... Um, it must have been a May Day or something. It was a bank holiday Monday. I spent just watching him all day. Yeah. And it was just nourishing. Oh, I think because that's my bank holiday Monday. Because at the end of the day, his yeah. theory is as valid as anyone's because we don't know. We don't I, I know. No, but you can't just therefore claim anything. Oh, no. I, I, all right. I, I mean the sort of ancient history of the Britons. We, we don't know the Britonic history because we don't have any record well no no i suppose not but then that's to go back to what i was saying that's why i personally you know what i love it when you see all the all the all the hippies and that when they go down to stonehenge and they're doing their made-up thing that's a bit of wicker man that's a bit of children of the stones but it doesn't matter does it because no it's that desire to recreate that desire to find it i, I rather like that i think yeah that's, 
that's very special. Well, one thing that is authentic <clears throat> in The Wicker Man is summer is a coming in lewd sing cuckoo. Yes. Uh, isn't the one in it cattle are farting? Isn't that a line in it? Uh, it might be. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't got my Oxford Book of English Verse. Uh, right. Twelfth edition, obviously, the yeah. uh, Quiller Couch edition yeah. um, that Rumpole always goes on about. I had to buy one of them. Um, but it's in that. It's the first poem in it because it's the oldest poem critically and very importantly in the English language. Uh-huh. It's a Saxon poem. It's not ancient British. Right. The oldest thing we've got back is uh, going back is Beowulf, isn't it? And that's Anglo-Saxon. Yes. So we've got nothing before that. No, nothing at all. So you're missing good God. everything. Yeah. Best part so, of a thousand years. It's quite quite likely that things all got destroyed. I mean, they call it the Dark Ages, don't they? Mm. For good reason, because we don't, it's not because people, we don't know what happened. We just have no historical record from the Dark Ages. We mm. have a geological record yeah. that shows that uh, there was some mad, mad few decades because of that black layer in the, so- in the soil, I don't know, rock, whatever it is, that proves that there was a massive volcanic eruption and that we did have 30 years of darkness virtually where a mm. lot of people died. Yeah, uh, but uh, you can use it to piece together those sort of like little historical events. Like, it is it um, Colchester where you've got a layer of of burning, mm. and that that timed uh, that you can tell that that's from uh, Boudicca burning the bloody place to the ground. Maybe. So you you can piece together bits. Michael Wood's series in Search of the Dark Ages. I know it it takes what there is and makes quite a, a lot out of very little um but that's certainly worth a look i just like the idea that these things probably never die i mean think about um think about shakespeare you know chap would have been a catholic well from a catholic family but they couldn't practice catholicism but it kept going in some underground way i don't think it's at all impossible really is it to think that maybe not at all. These little things in the Wicker Man and so on, they've probably come from somewhere. They've come from something. Some yeah, little, yeah, yeah. from traces of little well, things that, still happening. It's that young thing again, the collective consciousness, isn't it? Mm, yeah. So, you know, we've got what we've learned, but then everyone has a pool, a repository of a, a race memory that we all have access to. Mm. You know, and, and stuff is in that. I mean, so Jung boiled it down to archetypes. Yeah. That we all have the reason that humans tell stories that have lasted for millennia is uh, they use archetypes in order to get across themes, and those archetypes are hardwired in to our psychology. You know, the old man, mm. uh, the mother, all these things are hardwired in. So, our stories, like King Arthur, for example, he's the gallant knight, isn't he? He's the hero, and mm. you know, Gilgamesh, Beowulf. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, they're all the same story. The young man, reluctant to grow up effectively, but reluctant to become a hero. He's happy, isn't he, at home? He's in the Shire, or he's in, uh, I think it's called Tatooine in Star Wars, or wherever it is in Beowulf, but he's got to leave the safety of his family and village and grow up and be a man. So the first thing he does, he meets the first archetype, which is the old man, the wise old man, Yoda, Gandalf, whoever it may be. And that is a representation of the young boy as a grown man who's mm. saying, come on, grow up, come and be me. 
And so they use archetypes in order to tell these stories. And fairy tales are full of it as well, aren't they? Mm, absolutely. But you know, the, the Oedipal the... mother. Yeah. That's, you know, the prince is locked in a tower till he's too old and no use to anyone. And yeah. that's telling young men, move out. <laughs> Don't live, you know, behind your mother's apron all your life. Go and be, go and be the hero in your own story. Yeah, absolutely. So, all them stories that have been passed down are always the same thing. They're hmm. always telling young people to grow up and to crack on, effectively. No, absolutely. But it's always that quest story as well, isn't it? Hmm. It's the simplest qu- simplest storyline in the world. You've got to go on a quest and find a thing. The well done. Now go over there and get that thing. And that's Gilgamesh, but it's also that Mandalorian thing. It's all that, of them. Yeah. It's, it's all those stories. Hmm. But the, the, the sort of subtext in them all is that you've got to grow up and stop being a kid. Yes. Don't be shoffed, as they say where I'm from. Yes. Um, but all these Wicker Man stories and stuff like that, I mean, he's effectively punished for, for being a virgin, for being virtuous, mm. isn't he? Yes, yeah. And that, that's, that's another sort of uh, theme that runs through a lot of literature. You know, in, in, uh, is it Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky? Mm. He's, uh, the most galling thing is he's punished for his virtue, not his crimes. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's and, and then so is he. That's why when we watch it, we have that sense of moral outrage. Yeah. Apparently, there's a follow-up book, isn't there? Where to what? he lives. To the, to the Wicker Man. Yeah, he lives. The guy wrote it, uh, whoever wrote The Wicker Man, not Anthony Schaffer, is it? Uh, yeah, he did the screenplay, is it? Yeah. Who wrote the book, though? Uh, is that Robin Thingy? No. Hang no. on. The guy who wrote the book. Are you having a Google, dear? Uh, I'm having a look on the back of the, uh, the Blu-ray, dear. Yeah, the guy who wrote a book wrote a follow-up, I think, called The Ritual. Right. Okay. We can find out. Let's have a little look. Yeah, we can have a little Google there. Oh, okay. How does he survive it? Because he Not looks sure. fairly fairly toasty. The wind might change. and That's true. I mean, what I'm looking forward to is that, that fascinating thing, because with the original version, you're very much on Woodward's side. Yes. And the the director's cut, you're absolutely not on his side because the first ten minutes of the film is basically him being an asshole, and after that point, you just think, "Good die." <laughs> so I'm interested to see what the third version so will do. The fir- the original book, The Wicker Man's based on, was called Ritual, right? Uh, and in 2014, he published The Wicker Woman, spelt W I double C A. Now, how can they have been talking about that? Because that commentary was recorded pre-2014. So anyway, they're talking about a sequel on the commentary, Where He Lives. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. The Wind Changed. It's it's an amazing film, though, isn't it? Oh, it's a beautiful film. And considering it was butchered and put out as basically a B-movie. Yeah, it's... and Lindsay Kemp. Lindsay yes. Kemp is the landlord in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's a stunning uh, film and I, I think so much of that British sort of the, the culture the, the hauntological parapsychological all, all this stuff has come largely from works like The Wicker Man mm. um, which yeah which fa- which do connect us I think I but do believe strange, all the radiophonic stuff fits into that continuum as well oddly mm. enough yeah bringing absolutely. us full circle to Delia Derbyshire there's something about that and I love the modern hauntological stuff whereby they've kind of meshed all of that mm. whether it's ancient or not we don't yeah. know no uh, but that sort of folkloric um british thing they've meshed all of that with 70s technology including like bbc ident i think that one of the real flowerings of that is what's that that put out the sort of 
public information posters and stuff like that. They did a book of it. It's a Twitter account. It's a uh, fictional place. Oh, um, Scar... Scarfolk. Scarfolk, yeah. That's a kind of crystallisation, isn't it, of all that stuff? Absolutely, yes it is, yeah. You know. It's, yeah, of the hauntological, of those things which ultimately make Britain what it is, I suppose. That The fact that we, we've got these hints of what was before, mm. but nobody can quite put them all together. There's not enough, so you've got to fill in the gaps. But that's the, the tantalising thing. Yeah. That's the tantalising thing about, you know, fragmentary histories, mm. that they're open to interpretation, and someone will write a book one year completely rewriting it and then someone uh, else will rewrite uh, it and and it's the fact that it is that it it does gives you that opportunity doesn't it to actually fill the gaps in yourself to be creative you know just yeah. as people would have been creating these things in god knows how long ago it gives you that opportunity yeah you're that. a participant in your history Mm. It's sort of in our bones anyway, all this stuff. As, as Jung says, you know, all the archetypal thing. Yeah. And as we've just been discussing, it's a global thing. It's not confined to these islands. No, no, we've, no. we've all got a version of the same thing. Mm. and So it's bloody important to us to tell those stories. Yes. You know, and for yeah. some reason, certain times of years, particularly like May Day and the equinoxes and solstice and all that stuff, the equinoctial equinoctical alignment of the planet mm. it does have, i mean if the moon can pull the seas in and out then what's it doing to our heads well yes you know especially ladies <laughs> well yeah yeah there's a great example isn't it mm, yeah. you know of very that, much how we're all in tune absolutely yeah you fascinating know, stuff we are all one dear boy mm. i know you don't agree don't want to be. No. Means I have to be one with Tom Hanks. No. Tom Hanks is good. Tom Hanks isn't good. I've told you. Watch that uh, Castaway. Why? Because it's good. Why would I want to watch a film that has only got Tom Hanks in it if I've got an issue with Tom Hanks? It's a masterclass in acting for you. It absolutely isn't. He'll be doing the same thing as he always does. Like when he played the, you know, the boy who was a bit simple, or he's playing that one in the bloke with the bloke who got electrocuted, which was the only good bit in the film. No, he always plays the same dim-witted. Oh, he's awful. But he's, he's great rhyming awful. slang, isn't it? His but, name. Well, yes. So's Sir Toby Hunt. But it doesn't mean that I'd want to go, you know, give him an Oscar or something like that. He made an Oscars speech about 12 years ago. Mm. That was the point I hated him. May have been longer, actually. But what, that was the speech? point I hated him. What did he win that for? I don't care. He was just being so sycophantic <laughs> when he went up there. Probably cried or something. That was it. So absolutely not. Well, no. you need Gervais at these dues, don't you? Get you need the award. Yeah. Thank you. You need producer. someone like that. Yeah. But no, really. That Makes Golden Globe speech is stunning. That's brilliant. He needs to have a word directly with Tom. I just want to finish with one thing I meant to mention mm. to you, and I meant to send it to you, but I've been jet-washing me back passage. And, oh, yeah. and you've been having some lovely quality time, which is what the weekend's all about. Absolutely. Um, uh, the other day it popped up on YouTube, and we didn't mm. speak about Barry Humphreys last week. We didn't. Which, which was an oversight, and we do apologise. Um, yeah. A, a, um, a Clive James popped up on YouTube. Peter Cook. Right, and Barry Humphreys. Oh, man. Oh. It's stunning. 
And I remember it going out. And I remembered when he said one line, I was like, fuck me, I watch this. And you know when you watch a YouTube where someone's catching an old VHS? Yeah. And you watched it and you're like, boo! Yeah. It's time yeah. travel and you're back. Ah, oh, it was a wonderful moment. So, where Peter Cook was on about programming his video machine, because he's like, I love television, you know? <laughs> they say there are two kinds of people in the world, Clive people who walk into a room and switch the set off, and those who walk into a room and switch it on. I switch it on, you know? <laughs> and then he's on about the video and he's like, they've got one now where you just point the radio times at it and it's going <laughs> It's brilliant. And I remember the one line I remember is, I tell it, uh, I, I want one I can talk to. Ironically, now we have that. Yeah. I want one I can just say, record Newsnight, uh, the racing, and anything raunchy that might pop up. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> him saying that. I remember him saying that clearly. But what a fucking world we grew up in. Clive James, Peter Cook, Barry Humphreys. It's just like, it is an assault on the senses. These three guys just talking. And they've all got that shared treasury as well because Barry Humphreys Peter Cook kind of launched his career he talks about that mm -hmm. Clive James remembers Earl's Court in the 60s which was called Kangaroo Alley because uh -huh. all the Aussies went and lived there then they've got the Barry McKenzie thing for Private Eye which came out of one of Barry Humphreys <coughs> things and mm. oh man you've got yeah. to watch it it's oh, I will watch that 37 minutes of pure unbridled pleasure to, oh, to watch lovely. these three giants talk. Um, but every syllable of it, you mm. feel, has got deep roots in their experience and their lives. I'm bigging it up, I know I am. No, <laughs> but no, no, but you're right to. I mean, remember when, after he'd been, had that wilderness period where he did literally nothing apart from watch the telly and then Peter Cook appeared on Clive Anderson Talks Back. Not when he did all the characters, just he went on as himself. Yeah. And he was just magnificent and everything he said felt scripted. It was so good. And it's just Peter Cook being It's the Peter intellect, Cook. it's the experience that they've had. They've, mm. they've, they've had that ability to spiel like that yeah. forged in the white heat of performance and mm. deadlines and pressure yeah. these, these three guys are like diamonds mm. you know yeah and it just it shines through it i'm does. full of hyperbole today aren't oh I? no that's quite this is the fast to be doing that to you dear it will be but honestly mate i, I will send that to you and put send me a link put 36 yeah. minutes aside and just soak in the warm bath well, I think I, I think I may put thirty six minutes aside before I go over the road to the witch burning festival. Yes, yeah, so or afterwards, you know, whenever, after, whenever yeah. you have time. Or um, the other. Yes. But yeah, Barry Humphreys was. I remember the first time I encountered him would have been. I, I used to think Dame Edna and him were two different people. I, I did too. Absolutely. That's how, and he slips into the Dame Edna voice in the Clive James interview. <laughs> it's just mm. like this is fucking great. Yeah. Um, but um. So when I was a kid, I saw him. First time I saw him was doing Les Patterson on Michael Parkinson. Mm -hmm. um, and he's just drooling all down his jacket. And I can't stand that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I understand what he's doing. Mm. Exactly what he's doing. Yeah. He's, he's portraying perfectly a malodorous, repulsive creature. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it repulses me too much. Yeah. You know. No, I understand that. Okay. But anyway... That was my entree to it. Right, okay. And he's literally, the lapels of his jacket are covered in what we called slather. 
Brilliant. You know, it's yeah. just, and it was cheap. <laughs> God, man. Um, so yeah. that's, how about you? When did you first encounter him then? Uh, Clive James. Um, was it Clive James I'd seen on TV? Or yeah. What? yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was as Dame Edna. That was the first time I saw Barry Humphreys. And I didn't know Barry Humphreys for years afterwards. Um, I think when I discovered Barry Humphreys out of drag, must have been... I think they re-released, because when Private Eye was first coming out, they cut a number of flexi-discs of Private Eye, which came out with this. And they re-released those on cassette tape. And one of them is Barry Humphreys' voice on there. Um, And there's a thing with him and Willie Rushton. And then just at some point, if I remember rightly... You hear Barry Humphreys say "cunt," and it's clearly done just to make Willie Rushton laugh, and you just get the <laughs> you just get the little nose snort of a laugh starting. It's beautiful stuff. I think that was the first time I encountered him out of drag. But like you, I thought they were two two Honestly different people. Honestly, did yeah. Honestly, did he was such a magician mm. with what he did. Yeah. And he's Stunning. so comfortable in his own skin on this, Clive James. It's just, yeah, he, he just oozes confidence. I don't know if that's what he was like, but certainly that's how he comes across in there. I think we put him together with Cook because they were so close. When they started the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival together, you know, that's those two. You know, they were really close. So I, th- I think what you've got there is one of those lovely times when you get uh, in- intelligent people in the studio and they like each other. And yeah. off they go. Yeah. And when you get those programs like that, which we don't get now, of course, but when oh, you no. when you got those programs, that was all that you needed to do. Few people, quite clever, they like each other. Bumph, off yeah. you go. You will have an hour that you can just bathe in when the, when you get one of those. What did you uh, say last week? I didn't follow it up. It's been a bit uh, manic the last couple of weeks about the Melbourne Comedy Festival in Humphreys this year. Oh, so from what I can gather, um, there was some some controversy um, because uh, Barry Humphreys made statements. I can't remember what they were now off the top of my head, um, which were umbrage was taken uh, with these by the people from the trans community uh, after he said them. So they used to have awards that they gave out, which were called the Barrys. Right. Um, after Barry Humphreys, after all, he was the founder. Um, and they scrapped the Barrys because of this. But when it came to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, he died on the last day of the festival this time round, and there was no official tribute mm. or anything, nothing. It was just like, no, gone, forget it. Doesn't matter. And people's views change as they get older. If he's saying things in his 80s, then you don't have to listen. He won't be around that long. Okay. What's wrong with disagreeing? Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah. He's wrong. I don't agree with him. However, his work was iconic. But this is the thing, isn't it? Because we can't really... Oh, there's no forgiveness. No. There's absolutely zero forgiveness. Hmm. I think that the issue, that's the issue, isn't it? That previously it was fine to agree to differ. Mm-hmm. But these days, like we've said so many times, you've got to pick a side. Um, I have one chosen for you. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, it's a shame uh, that unfortunately what couldn't be done there is they couldn't say, all right, he said this that we disagreed with. But on the other hand, there's about 70 years of work. Of, and we exist because he founded us. There you go. It's it's incredibly important work. And what he did for Australia as a country, obviously, is huge. Absolutely huge. But, yeah, I think that to just ignore it and pretend that he didn't exist, that's just terribly sad. Intellectually just, dishonest. Yeah. Really. Yeah. If we're being honest. I mean... Mm. It's one of those things, isn't it? Again, this is this is cultural vandalism. That's that's what we're talking about when the Romans destroyed written records or whatever it may be. When the Taliban blow up the Banyan brothers, it's yeah. It's... Something that doesn't chime with your uh, beliefs mm. has to be expunged. Mm. Well, Roman Catholic Church. After the papal split, it's never been it? any different. It's no. a fundamental aspect of human nature. Mm. If we don't like it, remove it. Yes. But returning to Jung, that which we most need to see is found in the place where we least wish to look. Ah. And there we go, a bit of wisdom for Beltane. There you go, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, Lovely stuff. I think we've probably expunged everything we can. I don't think we talked about Beltane very much, but the hay. What the no, not an awful lot, but you know, pff, there you go. Put the demons on. Yeah, watch that. Watch Children of the Stones, you'll be sorted. Dance around the go and buy that. Oh, you might have to. I'm in the middle of buying Dick Turpin now. You've started some at here, mate. No, don't worry. I've I've ordered so much stuff. I've just, I mean, I've just paid 150 quid for a record for three records. But that's what is it you bought? The Hitchhiker's Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, Uh, but as we said the other day. And this is apparently what you shouldn't do in broadcasting. You know, talk about conversations off air. But hey, uh, it's not just the getting it. No. It's the anticipation. You know That's what, what you're paying for. Do you know what it is? Is right now I can track it. It's in Germany. Mm. And I'm able to track it. That's exciting. It is exciting. I actually... I, I like spending money. Oh, yeah. I don't like throwing it away. No. But I like spending it. Yes. On nice things. Exactly, yeah. And no. they, these are nice things that you've told me to buy. I mean, I've rearranged all my shelves now. Mm. Because of you. Oh, yeah, I've spent you. hundreds of pounds in the past few weeks because yeah. of you. Yeah. Um, and I'm not unhappy about it. Good. Actually, I well, need to. No. I'm it's not sure like... on the sandbaggers though. No, no, no. You've got to stick with it, honestly. No. Honestly, you'll understand. No, you will. You will understand. Those those people you think of as being caricatures. For example, um, the the chap who's D ops Edward, who just seems a bit of a drip. Yeah. You remember him? You know, the soul paper thin. The characterizations. They're not. No, you're being fooled. You're being fooled. You've just got to watch it. But I'm also watching Picard at the same time, and that's really strong. What? Picard. The Star Trek thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Pathetic. It's brilliant. No, it's not. It can't be. Patrick Stewart's someone who pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. And not interested in Patrick Stewart. He's sold out. No, he's not. Have you ever he seen him do start. Shakespeare? Like, he just... like you wouldn't be the captain of a bloody Star Trek thing. Oh, Paul, would you come and be Captain Wellard? Oh, I think I can find room in my diary to earn eight million pounds. I'm not saying I couldn't do yeah. it. I could. I could phone it in. I could shit a better captain than, than he can. No problem at all. <laughs> all I'm saying is I prefer not to, unless they shifted production over here for a start. All right, we just chuck a green screen in your room now. 
Right. And you're on the deck. Yes. Of, uh, there you go. You'd do that. I'd do that. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely. I'd do that. Mm. I thought you were stopping that. I am trying. It's very addictive, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, it took me about three months mm. of wanting to vape. It was bloody hard. Because yesterday I put one of those things under my lip, you know, those Nordic things. Forgot it was there. And, yeah, one of those. Started vaping. Nearly immediately vomited from some sort of tobacco overdose. <laughs> I wouldn't expect that. They're dead hard to pack up, them vapes. But you need to. They're, I they're know. Not, they're nasty things. They're nasty mm, I things. know, I know. But anyway. not today. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to criticise my brave little soldier today. Uh, not today. Yeah. I've been through an awful lot lately. You have been through an awful lot, dear. Yes. But you're still standing. Bound, oh, I'm still standing, broken. to quote Freddie Mercury, which is almost as Elton irritating John. as quoting Tom Hanks. Elton John. Is it Elton John? I'm still standing. Hate him as well. That's Pointless. when he came back with the... Singing, didn't he? Because the 70s Elton John is all like... You know, Tommy Knowlton, Tiny Dancer, which is all cool and 70s and glam. And then apparently he says he smoked lots of cocaine and it altered his voice. What, made him start singing like a 70-year-old woman? Yeah, that's why you've got... That's Elton John now, isn't it? It is. Absolutely Mm. not. And as boy George said, all that money and he has his hair done like a fucking dinner lady. By George, man. Oh. Another icon. Yes, right. absolutely. Okay, yes. then. You better get to the witch fur. Yeah, I better have, absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. better move your bunker again or something. Oh, no, it's moved. Okay. I'm going to go out and uh, do the cat shit report. Okay. <laughs> see if the little bastard has been out there. Don't Excellent. want that. No. It's like a shit version of Father Christmas. Yes. It yes. reminds me of um, Sade. Is it Sade? <laughs> Mano? What is it called? Mane. The uh, Pasolini film. Th- th- I thought we were going for Marquis de Sade there for a yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, what's it? Is it Marnet? What's it called? That yeah, Salo. Salo. Salo, yeah. The 120 and, Days of Salo. But yeah. do you remember the wedding breakfast scene? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you'd like that particularly. No. No. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Horrible. I've got, I've got the play version. I keep thinking we should put that on. But it's got, it's got the breakfast scene. Can you imagine how we'd do that, though, in college? That'd be brilliant. Nutella. <laughs> Big scoop of yeah, Nutella. Yeah. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Especially when he says the line about a bride should have a good breath for her fucking husband oh, on her wedding day. It's just like, no. Pasolini, a disgrace. Not a fan of Dissard, then? No. no. Absolutely not. It's disgraceful. Give me... Erline any day. Absolutely. <laughs> they, had a nickname, they had a nickname for Erline. And let me just open the wiki and I'll end with this. I, I know we're yapping on. Mm. But, but you know, it's extra... Extra things. More bang for your buck. Indeed. Yes. Now, what is it they called it? Oh, they called it Herline because of his wig. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I knew there was some... You should read uh, about that series. There's a lot of trouble over it. I think I, I must read up on that. But first, I'm going to give myself a little bit of Clive James with Peter. Ah, oh, man, I've got to send you that. It's so. We'll good. have some of that. It's so good. Absolutely. Can, put, can you pop a YouTube link for the boys? And I will girls do. On the I will do because it is fantastic. Fantastic. Excellent. Right. Right. Well, we hope you all have a, a lovely Beltane, a Beltane belt, a Beltane Beltane. Mm-hmm. 
yeah at yes. home and a lovely week and until the next time goodbye bye bye <laughs>